Hi there, and welcome to Box Talk, your weekly review from the world of voiceover. I'm your host, Stephanie Cicerelli from Voices. In today's show, we'll hear from Katie Lee. Katie is a career animation voiceover talent, a series regular on one of the longest-running radio dramas ever, and also a creative producer. Katie joins us from her studio in Los Angeles, and we'll be talking about her career, adventures in Odyssey, and her show, Tell You Later. Welcome to the show, Katie. Hi, thank you for having me. And I know what you're thinking. What you want to know, first off the bat, pot roast. I am making pot roast for dinner. Right. That's right. I I often (laughs) ask people what they're having for dinner on Facebook. I know you're wondering, so I just put it in the crock pot. Oh, that's so sweet of you to say. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Oh, well, we'll definitely be thinking about you and your dinner. And thank you, Katie. That's great. (laughs) Today, we're here to talk about what you're up to, um, but also just about the great work you've done over the years. So to give everyone a little bit of a flavor there, um, can you tell us a bit about your career, Katie, and what some of your favorite roles have been? Wow. Okay. So I started in voiceover about 40 years ago, graduated from college in 81 with a degree in broadcasting. So I moved to LA and the market was pretty small back then. And uh They used a lot of adults for kid voices back then, so I was fortunate enough to learn on the job, and I I got cast in commercials and cartoons. Some of the longest-running cartoons I did were the Muppet Babies. I did Baby Rolf's voice for the Muppet Babies. And uh, Dungeons & Dragons was actually my mm, second series. I think it lasted several years, and there's a huge fan base still for that. I played Sheila, the thief. That was fun because I got to work with TV stars. We had some TV stars in the show, Donnie Most and Willie Ames and Adam Rich. Um, And what else? Sunny Gummy from the Gummy Bears, which was amazing. That was Disney's first animated series for Saturday morning. Of course, I got to work with June Foray and Bill Scott. So really for me, the, the roles are fun. I mean, Connie Kendall in Adventures in Odyssey, like you said, if we're going on 35 years playing her, which is quite amazing. They're great roles, but the, the rewarding part is the people that I get to work with. And the response, since I'm not dead yet, I get to hear <laughs> all this stuff from people who've really enjoyed, you know, the shows I've worked on. And they're always surprised some of the things, because I've done a lot of ADR work, too. I live in Hollywood, so that's part of the game out here. And back in the day, I actually dubbed some pretty um, interesting characters, like the Maharaja in Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. That's my voice in that movie. Um, That was interesting. It gets a big response. Actually, uh, there was a DJ in England who tracked me down, and apparently he was really obsessed with this character and found out that that wasn't his voice and tracked me down, and I got to be a guest on the guy's radio show because of it. Wow. Um, Yeah, so uh, right now I started directing, and I help cast. I love helping other people get work. I've done some work in Spanish. Um, I do a lot of e-learning and shows like on YouTube now. A lot of stuff is on YouTube. So a few cartoons I've done are on YouTube and one I direct called Chi Chi Love. I get to play a part in that and that's pretty fun. Video games. I've been playing a character in Blade and Soul for years. Uh, Well, actually, I'm like seven characters. I'm the system voice and I'm also this character, Brother Hajun, 
who died like years ago. And when they called me back, I was like, I didn't understand video games. Like, why am I here? I already died. <laughs> like, well, things change and there's because I instruct the player on like moves, crazy name moves and stuff. So I'm still working on that. And they make, came out with a mobile app of that. So I'm him and the princess and all kinds of stuff. So does that answer your question? I believe it does, Katie. There's a lot of it. Like, honestly, I I grew up listening to your work without knowing that I was listening to your work. And I think the same can be said for a lot of us who grew up watching shows that June Foray was in. Like when you mentioned or Paul Fries or any of these amazing artists, Mel Blanc and so on. And Mm -hmm. it's rare that we actually get to interact with the people that we grew up listening to. So that's amazing. Well, you mentioned, you know, we were going to talk about Will Ryan. And Will Ryan is a good buddy and uh, passed away in November. Uh, We worked on a lot of shows to get, well, like Dumbo Circus on the Disney Channel. That's really where I really got to know him at first the most, and that was like in the early 80s. I played Dumbo's voice, and he was uh, Barnaby's voice. But that's one thing we, we realized, the two of us. We just hung on to this with so much joy that we're like the in-between generation that we have gotten to work with just about everybody from old-time radio that existed before and that became television and then into the, you know, the next generation. We're like the, we're like the, the white part of the Oreo. We're in the middle. <laughs> and, um, you know, it thrilled us to be able to meet these people and hear their stories and, and just, you know, get to work with them because they were legends to us. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And it's wonderful to talk to you and to speak to others, to hear your stories of memories from past uh, voice acting legends and people who obviously are, are quite influential in the careers of those who are teaching voiceover right now. You talk to someone like Pat Fraley and he's got his whole world of, of people that he knows and Bob Bergen and his mentorship that he experienced uh, with Mel Blanc when he was that kid skipping school, going into the studio, basically, right, to to kind of sit in on that. I remember when Bob started working, because I was already working before him, and Pat and I kind of around the same time were working. Yeah, you're right. And I guess, because I do coach too, I'm sure that has some influence on whatever I've gained over the years. Yeah. Definitely it has, because I've observed so many of, of your peers and certainly heard you speak. And, and it's just it just comes through just what you've learned over the years. And, and it's wonderful that you share it. So something I was thinking about as we were talking about this and is that you have like fan bases everywhere. You mentioned that there's different <laughs> shows that you've got. There's all kinds of people who want to interview Katie Lee. Like, And I pull up this interview. I'm like, wow, Katie does a ton of fan interviews. But you also are um, a mainstay at Comic-Cons, too. So ha- is that kind of a big part of what you do as someone? who has been part of franchises? Yeah, it's something that I really love, actually, because I love traveling. I like to get paid for it, but it's that interaction with the fans. I mean, sometimes, you know, it can can be really tiring, you know, to go for the weekend and be smiling. I'll I'll tell you what, smiling (laughs) for pictures over and over again can really give you a headache. But there's also the the joy in your heart kind of compensates for that. Townsend Coleman, who's also a good friend of mine, we were talking, I've had him on my YouTube show, tell you later. Because we've lived this long, 
and meeting people and hearing their stories just kind of validates what we've been doing all these years. Because, I mean, I don't know what it's like for you as a voice talent, but you kind of go to work. You have, Like I said, it was fun playing off of people and just doing the shows, but you don't really know what happens. It takes a while for it to get on the air. The people who are watching are probably 20 years younger or 40 years young, you know, younger than you. And you don't really know what happens. But when people come and share, you know, you're, I came home from school every day and there was nobody there and I turned on the TV or I learned these lessons or I remember this episode from Odyssey and I was faced with a similar situation and it, it direct told me what to do and my life is better for it. It just makes us feel significant and not to say that in a proud way, but I think human beings have a need to feel significant. And sometimes what we're doing seems kind of frivolous and silly and fun, but we know now that it is important to a lot of people. Yeah, I was thinking a lot of kids did come home from school with no parents there because, as you know, around the 80s, 90s, all of a sudden, you know, both parents were working, you know, and so when a child came home, they literally turned on TV, be it PBS or, or uh, whatever it might have been. And and there you were, you know, you're kind of the mainstay or Saturday mornings, Saturday Mm -hmm. mornings were like, the best. Like, I don't think there's been anything and, and forgive me for saying this, but I really don't think that anything produced today, it doesn't hold a candle to what you guys all did in the 80s. Like, honestly, like that was the work. It was a cultural phenomenon that doesn't exist anymore. First of all, I, I want, just thinking about, I think we started coming on, I think we were originally syndicated, actually, Darkwing Duck. I worked on that and, and watching it now on Disney+. Plus. I really appreciate the relationship between the father and the daughter in that show, mm. Darkwing and his daughter Goslin. I played, I played Hawker Butterfoot, who was her best friend. He kind of talked like that, which turns out he came from a mixed uh, family. I don't know if you know this, but Honker was biracial. His mother was a goose and his father was a duck. So just putting that out there. (laughs) Anyway, everybody saw the same thing at the same time, whatever was offered. This was before DVR. Is it they called DVRs? (laughs) I don't know. know. The things that record, (laughs) video recorders, you know. those kind of came out where people could start recording and watch stuff later. But everybody who turned on the TV Saturday morning basically had the same three or four choices. And there was a collective language and understanding and culture in the world, basically, at least in the Americas, that, you know, I think was sort of a cohesive thing for people. Um, and now everybody watches whatever they want whenever they want. And it's it's very more curated, I guess, as they mm. say. But yeah, it was more a general popular thing that everybody was tuned into. No yeah. pun intended. <laughs> no, I love what you said because it, you, you literally took what I think we're all thinking and just said it. There was this period of time before there was all this choice, before there were multiple networks with multiple ways of getting the content. And it's wonderful that there is so much choice nowadays and to have variety of, of programs and different ways to consume them. But we've lost that. We've lost that tune in at 8 p.m. Friday night or, or you know, like, be sure to come back next week so you can see this because now people just binge watch series and so on. You exactly. Know? Well, think about it, Stephanie. If you knew <clears throat> that something was on at a certain time, your friends had to come over and 
and watch it. If you wanted to do it together, come over and watch it at that time. And when it was over, it was over. So you'd go out and play or talk about it together. Mm -hmm. There was much more togetherness, I think, at that point in history. Yeah. yeah. I wonder if, um, as we're talking about this togetherness, uh, if, if shows like reboots, you know, when you bring back, say, uh, the Animaniacs or you bring mm-hmm. back the Ninja Turtles, you have different. Is that helping to bridge the gap in some way, at least between generations, would you say? I don't know. It depends if the show's good. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, if the show's good, what it'll do is like, oh, I grew up watching this show. And then you tell your kid, let's watch this together. This was one of my favorites. But by the same token, a lot of the old shows are available on streaming. So I know a lot of parents who they're big fans of the Gummy Bears. And I meet these little kids who are six years old who know the old shows because their parents watch the old shows with them. So I think it gives them the opportunity to share, but it's still not at a certain time unless they release it once a week where it causes a reason for people to be together, mm. right? Because yeah. it's it's forced that way. Because even if there's an, a reboot and I say, oh, I really dug this show, well, my kid could turn it on and watch it when I'm at work or something, right? It doesn't mean we're watching it together. Right. Yeah. And I think people's attention spans have also changed since that time, right? So it's it's like almost like you got to have a different way of engaging the kids um, than you did, say, you know, 30 years ago um, with programming. So, but, but very interesting nonetheless. Yeah. I think there is something to be said for teaching delayed gratification and patience, though, and getting our brains to slow down. As a mm-hmm. mom, can I just say that? As a grandma, can I say that? I think there's uh, some things that, some brain development that kind of gets lost catering to these short attention spans. I think you sort of feed it if you keep doing it rather than <gasps> putting on the brakes and helping us learn how to be a little calmer. Yeah. So about like the whole just engaging people differently. And this is a we're going to do a nice little segue into your your audio drama work. But I find that when you have radio drama or audio that is just standalone, there's no visuals like it's a different kind of engaging with the audience. But it's also I think that you might be able to retain more of it because there's just it's just all that you're hearing. Well, there's a lot of different ways that people are engaged, I think, in audio than TV. Actually, you know, it's the strongest thing. Do you know that our hearing is the last sense to go when we die? I mean, I thought that was fascinating. Have you noticed also, I mean, look, this is an audio podcast. People want it. It's very, audio is very personal. I mean, there are DJs I grew up listening to who I felt like were family, right? You hear them all the time. A familiar voice It's something that people relate to. And so I think there wouldn't be this huge explosion of podcasts. I know it's easier to produce than anything else, but people want the content. They enjoy listening. You can listen. It's portable, way more portable than than video, right? I was sick. I actually did get the COVID um, a couple weeks ago. And my eyes could, didn't want to watch anything, but I listened to a lot of podcasts. And I think it helps our imaginations because we have to kind of engages our brain a different way. 
And also, you know, as a voice coach and a voice actor, and I'm sure the people who listen to your podcast get this message all the time, but our ears are lie detectors. Mm. And we can tell our hearing is very acute when people talk. It's like we discern a lot uh, uh, regarding the information and the people who are delivering it with just our ears. So I think when we get rid of the other distractions, we do become more attentive. That being said, I fell asleep listening to a lot of my podcasts, so I don't even remember <laughs> what I heard half the time. I know. <laughs> I know. Isn't it awful? Like, you, you do fall asleep to audio, and that's true. I've fallen asleep to audiobooks. I can barely, like, I do not listen to them before going to bed. Like, I have to be up and moving if I'm listening to an audiobook but for you sure. Got, but isn't that great? Like, when we're cooking, I can, even if I put on YouTube and there is a picture, I'm not really watching it. I'm listening right? I, that's more important to me. And maybe that's just my nature that I like listening. But I think there's, and there's a huge explosion in audio drama right now. I don't mm -hmm. know if you, you must be aware of that. And I think a lot of people were inspired by Inve Adventures in Odyssey when it first came out because it was so unique. There wasn't barely anything like that at the time. And that's when Saturday morning TV was exploding and everybody told the Dr. Dobson and the people that focus on the family, you are barking up the wrong tree. There is no audience for this. But at the same time, there was a huge movement of homeschoolers who, like, tossed their TVs out the window. And I meet people who—that's the only entertainment pretty much they had growing up was listening to audio dramas, et cetera, and our show. Yeah, it's been on the air since 1987. I mean, like, that is a long 80, time. 87? 9, 8, 7. Yeah, you're right. My son was born the year it went on the air. So <laughs> nice. I remember. <laughs> yeah, I was on Wikipedia. Not that it's the arbiter of all truth necessarily, but Wikipedia did tell me <laughs> that in 1987, yep, that's awesome. I'm so excited about that because I know that I have benefited from listening to your programs. I know that you generously signed a CD for one of my kids when we met at a conference once. And it's oh. like, oh, look, Connie Kendall gave this to me. And, uh, you know, like there's just so many people, I think, especially with Odyssey, because it's been so long running, but also just like your your role in it is is a it's a it's a main character, right? Like everyone kind of, you know, knows who Connie is. And she and, is a yeah. main character and, and people relate to her. A lot of girls relate to her a lot. A lot of boys. It's so funny, Stephanie, when I meet like these guys in their 30s. And they find out who I am. Like, they blush. I'm think, I'm think, what were they thinking about Connie 10 <laughs> years ago? They're so cute. I meet 30-year-olds who say, oh, can I give you a hug? Like, it, it's inviting people into your house, these characters, especially, you know, some kids listen to five, six episodes a day. They're, they have them memorized. By the same token, I feel like the Odyssey listeners are my family. I'm, they don't mm. scare me. I love them. I have a crazy story about spending the night at someone's house who I didn't know, but they were fans, and I was stuck at an airport, and I said, can somebody get me out of here? And they came and got me. Of course, uh, Focus wasn't too happy about that. They said, please don't do this again. Um, <laughs> And actually, we started before 87 because Family Portraits was done before they created Adventures in Odyssey. But yeah, a lot of people, I mean, I'm, 
kind of similar to my character. So it makes it really fun to play her because she's really not that different for me. And I don't have to change my voice. And as a matter of fact, Will and I wrote a little book, Adventures in Oddity. We have a bonus edition came out last year, two years ago, where he would say, this is to prove once and for all that we're nothing like the characters we play on Adventures in Odyssey, (laughs) which of course is a big fat lie. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I say you both sounded exactly the same. Like, I don't think Will put a voice on for Eugene, did he? He did. He, especially in the beginning, because he was supposed to be younger. It was a little higher pitched. I mean, look, all of us are 35 years older. I mean, the, I'm pretty close, but I'm not exactly the same. And I've also made sure that Connie doesn't sound the same just because she's, In Odyssey years, she's only a few years older, but she's more mature. The shows that we're doing are a little different. When Connie came on to the scene, she was 16, I guess, 15, 16 years old Mm and uh, with her mom and had this history of, you know, her divorced family moving from California, which I could relate to. I live in California, but my parents were divorced when I was three years old, so... I could totally relate. But now she's got her half-sister living with her, and she's inherited a house. So she's got a little more mature responsibilities. So I kind of play her that way now. Yeah, and that's interesting because, as you say, like this role has been one that you've you've done for a very long time, and sometimes characters do mature and grow over time. They've evolved. And that's great. Yeah. Yeah, and they will, too, because you as an artist mature and grow and you bring different things to the table as you um, experience other, you know, either life experiences or or you just see more depth that you can bring to the character. And that's so important. I I just want to encourage younger people. I mean, there's so much stuff I couldn't relate to 20 years ago that I can now. My emotions are so much more accessible than they were when I started My life experience is so much broader. You have all those resources. I mean, kudos to anybody who's younger who's a great actor. I mean, that's fabulous. But I also know we can't help but get better as we get older. Mm -hmm. I wanted to talk to you also about just uh, your relationship with Will Ryan, your great friendship that has spanned so many productions, so many decades. And and just recently, uh, in the past year or so, you had created this uh, show, Tell You Later. But for everybody who isn't as familiar with Will, can you tell them who Will is and and how they might remember his work if uh, they, they don't know him by his face? Wow. Okay. Well, he, when he came to California, he originally started writing songs at Disney. He used to call it Disney's because that's what the old people used to call it, Disney's. <laughs> and so a lot of the um, children's songs and albums, he wrote over a hundred songs for them. He was a songwriter. He was a script writer. He was a voice actor, a musician, on-camera actor, and pretty much an walking encyclopedia of music. Uh, He collected all kinds of things. So he started at Disney's. He ended up doing voices there. He was Tigger's voice for 17 years on things. He was, did Rabbit's voice. He worked on Welcome to Pooh Corner. Then he worked on Dumbo Circus with me. He played Barnaby the dog. Uh, He wrote a lot of the scripts. He wrote the songs. He just could do everything. Teddy Ruxpin, 
It was another big project that we did. I worked on the live action. If people aren't familiar with Dumbo Circus or Welcome to Boo Corner, it was when animatronics started happening. So we had these puppet heads that were programmed with voices. So there was a Teddy Ruxpin, some shows that were done. Teddy Ruxpin was an animatronic doll, and we had these shows. So he played Grubby's voice. He was also Prince Aaron, and I played his sister, Princess Arusia, in those. And then he was in the cartoon also. He was the seahorse in The Little Mermaid's voice. He's Pete the Giant's voice on... I mean, he was still working on Mickey Mouse... Mickey Mouse? Funhouse. <laughs> they have a one yeah, called yeah. Funhouse now, yeah. I think. Oh. Um, and he was doing... If people saw the um, the screener for Get a... I forget what movie. Get a Horse was a sh- Mickey Mouse short they played before Little Mermaid, I think, or oh. no, 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 uh, a, a later film. But anyway, he did a Pete's voice, another bad guy, Billy Bletcher type voice he used to do for Disney. He was Petrie in Land yes. Before Time. That's one of the most recognizable voices, yes. I think, from, from people who uh, grew up in the 80s. They, as everybody a, uh, remembers Petrie. Yeah, as a matter of fact, um, <laughs> turns out Will had seven storage units of things he collected. And yeah. uh, there was one big box I saw of all these rubber Petries. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> really? Yeah. So just to let you guys know, there's a website. Well, CelebWorks represents us, well, represented me and us for mm-hmm. Comic-Cons, CelebWorks, C-E-L-E-B-W-O-R-X. And they've started some online stores, especially during the pandemic, where we couldn't sell autograph stuff. You know, we didn't go to a lot of cons. So they have stores for individuals, and they're going to be selling a lot of Will's stuff because he created—he was also president of ASIFA yes, for a while, yes. which was the Animation Society. I mean, he kind of did, like, everything. And so he created a legacy, like a scholarship to give every year to three people. So anything they sell through the CelebWork store is going to fund that. Oh, that's wonderful. He was like a, a renaissance idea man. Our YouTube show was a big idea of his, too. He would have all these great ideas, and then I had to do all the work. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm telling you the truth. It's like, okay, this is fun. But he techno- the difference between him and Eugene yeah. is Eugene is this technological genius. And Will was <laughs> like, I actually recorded... Phil Lawler and I showing yeah. him how to use Zoom. I, I oh, had to record nice. it. It was so funny because he just, computers, not his thing, folders, nothing organized. He just, you know, he always carried a pad of paper and wrote stuff down. He didn't have a cell phone, Stephanie. Oh, wow. Yeah, he was, he totally lived in the 1940s. But, that is, uh, you know what, but I think that's why people love um, actors and, and creative people is that, you have this world in your head and, and you create things and you write them down or you, you perform or like not everyone has to be technical. And I think that's a really great point that you've made, like maybe in, inadvertently made. But I just find that so many people come to voiceover. Yeah, we're like, oh, yeah, you need talent. You need to know how to run your, all your gear. You need to know this. But honestly, if you are so right side of the brain that you can only do the performance, if you are talented enough and gifted enough, have the right connections, 
you can still do all of this. You can hire an assistant. You can get an engineer. Like, you don't have to be somebody who um, who knows all the tech. But a, a shout out to Phil Lawler. We will make sure to, to tag him on Facebook <laughs> <laughs> when this comes out. But that is amazing. Like, I so we know a lot now about Will. And Will Ryan was was uh, just an incredible human being and actor. But the, your Tell You Later show. So this is, is this kind of when you began to do more creative producing your own work? When we first came out with Adventures in Oddity, the book, we did an MP3. We recorded it so people could get... And all this is available through my website, katielee.com. Some, the book is available on Amazon, but autographed copies have... That's what I'm saying. I, everything had to go through me. We, he, Will, <laughs> very literary person. So it, when we first started, he had all these books that he ordered. I'm like, how are we supposed to get these to people? Well, I ended up being a clearinghouse for mailing, too. So I learned a lot. Anyway, then we, we did the, the bonus edition, 58 more pages, and all the artwork in the book is Will's. He was also a cartoonist. I think I failed to mention that. Yes, he, he drew. And I, I remember seeing some of his art. Yeah. So all the art is his. And so we added these pages to make it bigger it's the green version. And then um, my husband, who we lovingly refer to on Tell You Later as the crew of one, yes. said, why don't we make a video of you guys reading? So it wasn't just audio. So the audio book in its entirety is available, but also the bonus edition with us reading it, that part is available on Vimeo. So once we did that and, you know, the pandemic and everything and we do cameos. We we were registered on Cameo. Some people would ask us to do cameos, Will and I together, because we were kind of like a package. You know, people, our characters are very synonymous. Mm-hmm. And so we became synonymous. And I do, I'll just say, if anybody's listening, cameos, they take a big chunk. So I offer the same thing through my website for less money. Or maybe this, yes. I think I do. It's less on Cameo. (laughs) So he started coming down to my house, and we did the video, and then he got hooked on YouTube because he couldn't play with his band. He had a band, Will Ryan and the Cactus County Cowboys, and then he said, why don't we do a YouTube show? And And so, okay, that sounds cool. I thought we'll just do it like every couple weeks. We'll just use our iPhone. It'll just be fun. No, 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 because Crew of One decided the audio has to be perfect, so he's making sure that's, and, and it, it became this thing, and then Will, who also watched Sudoku on YouTube, that's what he liked to do, and it was on three times a day. He goes, they can do this three times a day. I'm like, well, that's great, but this is a <laughs> lot of work. And so we made a commitment to do it once a week. I said, we'll do it once a week for a year and we'll see what happens because it really did has taken over our lives it's like a full-time job um so he would come over and then crew of ones editing and then unfortunately will got cancer and Mm -hmm. passed away very quickly we had recorded as a matter of fact i'm glad we're talking today because today this week's episode we had a drawing for a thousand subscribers because then we found out the only way to monetize on YouTube I'm just being straight is to get a thousand subscribers and now we found out 4,000 hours watched so we only knew the thousand subscribers so we had a contest 
And at the end of this episode, you'll see we, we talk to the winner, and the last song, Will used to, like, write a song every day, and we'd record them as part of our show. And very little preparation, which is obvious to anybody who watches it, but we did a song called Good Old Outer Space, and that is, we just premiered it this week. We've been hanging on to it. Um, we still had stuff we had recorded with Will that we hadn't put in the show that we did after he passed away, and now I'm trying to carry on. Um, so we'll see if it still will be every week. Or Right now we're still maintaining the schedule, but uh, that was our promise, and we did it. So pat on the back. Yeah, well, congratulations on that. And it was so heartbreaking when he became ill, and, and for him to go so quickly was a, a blessing and mercy in some ways, right? But it's just like you you literally documented, Katie, the last year of his life. Like in a creative sense, but also just a very genuine and heartfelt, beautiful way. Yeah. Um, as much as I complain about having to do it every week, nobody knew. I mean, he had a a physical a year ago, January, and they said he was fine. Nobody knew this would happen. And I think if we did, we probably wouldn't have done the show. And so the fact that we did it, and really people can spend almost the last year of his life with him if they want to by watching mm-hmm. the show is, is pretty remarkable. Yeah, that, that's beautiful. And, and I remember you were kind to, to tell me a little bit about that around the time that he did pass. And we did mention his passing on Vox Talk, for those of you who do remember. I, at that point, had said, oh, it's one of his last episodes is coming up. But but you corrected me, and I want to make sure I get this on the record, that there actually had been more material that you had that you were about to release. So um, when was the last episode that, that Will was on? Well, the last one we recorded, I know it's green. I don't know the episode number. He was... Um really sick. It's so funny. Another actress friend, Pat Music, when we were talking about Will, she said there's what they used to refer to as Dr. Showbiz. And he just wanted to keep recording, even though he was exhausted. He had done a a round of chemo that really, really made him weak. And um, But he wanted to record, so we went over to where he was, and we did this show, and he sat up and we recorded a few <laughs> uh, things in August. I have to check, and I'll, I'll, I'll send you, um, I'll tell you, I'll tell you later. Yeah, I'll tell you later. Which episode I love that. that was. But we, <laughs> we still had some other stuff. Uh, our patrons, it's a patron-supported show, so they get extra things that we recorded that aren't on YouTube. And the YouTube shows are actually shorter than what the patrons see. And we have episodes called uh, Adventures in Popcorn, because Will and I loved popcorn (laughs) Uh, a lot. (laughs) And we have those episodes and then some other episodes where we had these alter egos, Glastonbury, Tor Smythe, and and me, Godilla, five H's, spelled the usual way. Yes, the fifth H is silent. And so we, we did these Welcome to Later were those episodes. So it was like catch, tying up loose ends from Tell You Later because we never really would quite finish a lot of our ideas. So Ganilla and Glastonbury would talk about, you know, whatever they missed and et cetera. So those are, those are for the patrons. And then a lot of the songs, like I said, Good Old Outer Space, 
we saved and just came out this week. So if people want to see us wearing aluminum foil on our heads. And uh, we had a, a guy, a shout out to Josiah Crandall, who is a fan. So many fans. Just shout out to the fans. You guys are so awesome. They helped me. They've helped me through this period because obviously I'm still kind of depressed and lost. Um, helping us to get more viewers to watch and hit those 4,000 hours. And, you know, our, we really appreciated our patrons and the people supporting the show. And, you know, it was really clear when he was in the hospital that he wasn't going to, you know, come out. And I asked, Will, do you want to record something mm. for the people who've been listening? And he did. And it was so, so sweet. And you could hear the machines, you know, whatever that is that goes beep, beep in the background. And Will was so much smarter than me, just the consummate performer, just loved an audience and knew, understood about audiences, which I don't. I'm more of an in-studio, put-my-foot-in-my-mouth kind of person. But the beep, and he, and he said, oh, there's that beep bird again. Mm. And I thought, why are you caught? calling attention to it. But after people heard it, after he passed, I posted it. I made a video. And this one of our friends who watches with his daughter, they drew pictures of this beat bird. Oh. And you know what? I think people like that. So, you know, he was he was very, very always thinking about everybody else. He was he published a book. From the, I made sure it got done in the hospital, and they're going to have it at Celebrity. It's a, a popcorn haiku book. Oh, oh, that's awesome. And it was very sweet. He dedicated it to me and his sister. But, I mean, and I wrote some stuff in there, too. But Will was very impatient. He just had to produce, produce, produce. So I will admit that there's some quotes that are attributed to me that may have come out of Will and said, is it okay if I say this? I'm like, sure, whatever. <laughs> Oh, yeah. well, thank you for sharing, because I think it's all lovely and, and a, a wonderful tribute to someone who spent so much of their time, their career, their life, just giving back to others, but also helping to shape the content that we all experienced and grew oh, up with. Absolutely. And, you know? Yeah. So, and, and you, you did mention a couple websites, so we will be sure to plug those in our show notes. But Katie, for anybody who wants to get a hold of you and maybe just reach out and hear more about your work or, or possibly get you on another show, <laughs> you never know. Someone might be like, oh, that Katie Lee, you've got a booger. Um, how can they find you? Katie at katielee.com or katielee.com. It's uh, K-A-T-I-E-L-E-I-G-H. It's so funny. Will would say, Will Ryan, not an interrogative. Katie Lee, not an adverb. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, L-E-I-G-H, you can find me and write to me. I'm, I'm pretty accessible because uh, if, if people didn't want to write to me, I would probably wouldn't be doing this, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And thank you also for just, as you say, being accessible, but being open to conversations with all kinds of people, be it your fans or, or us in industry and, and beyond. So, uh, yeah, thanks for being on the show well, today, thank Katie. Thank you for having me. I, I really do like to share what I know. And I'll just say um, I do teach some workshops online. And I scheduled my first one after a long time, May 28th. It's an ensemble uh, animation acting workshop because I feel like 
people have, they don't get the chance to work with other actors like we used to back in the day. And I really think it's good to learn how to play off other people. So when you're by yourself, you can kind of imagine what it's like having somebody talk with you. Because I always say, these are not monologues. Everything is a dialogue. So we have a lot of fun working and playing off of each other. So I'll just put that out there. I know it's on Eventbrite and probably on my website, too. Thank you for having me, Steph. You're so sweet. Oh, you're welcome, Katie. It's always a pleasure to see you, and we should have another cup of tea sometime soon. Absolutely. <laughs> I can't wait to hear what you're making for dinner tonight. Oh, you'll see it soon <laughs> <enough>. <laughs> And that's how we saw the world through the lens of voiceover this week. Thank you so much for joining us today and for enjoying this wonderful interview and walk through the amazing world of voice acting with Katie Lee and I today. If you love the show, be sure to share it because sharing is caring. You can go to our website, Voices.com, to find the podcast share from there. But if you also subscribe via Apple Podcasts or anywhere else like that, then you can actually share individual episodes. Send those ones to your friends. Let them know that you enjoyed it. Follow us on social. Use the hashtag VoxTalk. That's one of the best ways to let us know how much you enjoy the show. So for everyone here at Voices, so very happy to be with you. I'm Stephanie Cicerelli. Our producer is Jeff Bremner. Thank you again for listening to Vox Talk, and we'll see you next week.